So we've discussed examples, wonderful examples you shared with us from domains in the military, in defense, in security, about leadership and leadership development. And I wonder the degree to which good leaders are universal. Once you learn good leadership skill, whether it's when you're a Boy Scout or an army special forces or a cyber operator somewhere, those skills are transportable to other domain if you become a hospital manager or you're on the manufacturing floor or in the corporate suite. What do you think? Are those leadership skills transportable or they are very specific to a particular domain and you have to start from scratch when you move to a new domain? So, Daniel, I think that they transfer, but I think that you also have to recognize that the environment is very, very different. So real quick on the environment. In the military, from day one, there is a very clear objective of services to shed each individual of a lot of their personal identifiable remembrances and really build you as a team. And also in the military, pay is pretty much standardized. And so, you know, once you embrace the purpose and the vision of the military and the mission, you're not really thinking about compensation. It's all about accomplishment of the mission. You have to be more practical on the commercial side and recognize that you can have a very inspirational vision for what you want to do with the company. But in the end, uh, people have to get paid because they have expenses and they have requirements in their lives. And so you've got a slightly different dynamic. But we are in the process of increasing the size of our company. And there's one individual that I'm talking to that has very interesting history that transcends a military career as a reservist. His last command was brigade commander of a medical unit in the Army Reserves. He retired uh, from that position, and he is now a senior administrator with the VA. So he's working on two sides of the fence. He's got this military career that's covered over 35 years of reserve and active duty, and then he has the working on the commercial side, I would say. And when I'm talking to him about vision and team development and leadership, he blends them together as one thing. So you may have to recognize that there's a different environment that you're operating in and the factors that influence and motivate the people that are working for you are different. To him, leadership and the development of people are the same. What motivates people may be slightly different, but treating them as human beings, involving them in the process, giving them responsibility, holding them accountable in a fair environment, he believes, and I believe as well, works on both sides. That's for the type of leadership attributes that we're primarily talking about on this podcast. The leadership style that you see growing in the U.S. military over the past two decades to this individual, there doesn't seem to be any difference between commercial and military. There's different times of history in the U.S. military where a different style of leadership was required. The military you know, for the past two decades has been very focused on growing and developing accountability initiative problem solving at the lowest level. That may not have been true 40 years ago. doesn't mean certain leaders weren't doing that, but as an institution, that may not have been true. That's interesting. Fred Scott, do you want to chime in on this notion of transferability of leadership? Well, I was just going to add quickly, when I look at the attributes and competencies that we're familiar with in the Army, I've always seen them as enduring outside of the military. I think I was thinking in terms of how maybe Morgan was thinking a little bit too. One of the biggest challenges I had coming from the military to the civilian sector was caring about the business side of things. I had a hard time sort of adapting to that because I just didn't really like it. The military has its budgets and everything else. We have to be good stewards and understand those kinds of things. But 
getting into the nuances of those things is a challenge. But I do think that that competencies are attributes like adaptability and recognizing my roles and improving performance on the business side was something I had to learn. I think it's the case that the context is going to matter, right? So there is something about the ability to lead others, interpersonal skills, things you might do to build trust or not, that are going to matter across domains. But how they matter in a given context is going to matter. And that's true within the military as well as it is outside the military. And so I don't think it's as simple as moving from domain A to domain B. And if you're a good leader, check the block. Because I think the mission and the context matter in terms of how that all comes together. And, you know, I'd also note that if we go back to how the Army defines what it wants from its leaders, it does include things like leads by example, our stewards of the profession, develops others. These are things that the Army calls out. And it's awful hard to develop others or lead by example if you don't understand the domain that you are working in. So the kind of tension that I think Scott was articulating reflects that. It is the case that some of these skills will likely transfer, but there's other things that probably have to be learned that are going to matter to make you effective. To build on that and to go back to the person that I was sharing uh, their experiences about, just so it's clear that we're not talking about a you know a feel-good story and tying into what Fred and Scott are saying, there has to be objectives and metrics on both sides. And so on the military side, the primary objective that he had in his style of leadership really is tied to readiness and then the ability to effectively perform uh, when called to mission. And we talked about those experiences pretty extensively. But what is also interesting is that that same philosophy that he was using to develop readiness on the military side, he gave some very significant examples of turning around organizations and dynamically growing customer satisfaction, dynamically growing basically sales and customer volume. And again, it, it all ties back to the development of the staff. And, you know, he really ties turnaround time on work orders or customer satisfaction to the empowerment of the team and helping them understand what the vision is, what the mission is, and then giving them or trusting them to solve the problems and giving them the authority to solve the problems. And so that has led to dynamic turnarounds on customer satisfaction, as I mentioned, which, of course, leads to greater volume of revenue and profits for the company. You know, it's not just, like I say, a feel-good story. There's real evidence behind performance on both domains. No, I agree. And perhaps these adjustments we talked about on context matter, there are some things that is true. I mean, it's sometimes within the same domain, the same industry, a leader in a particular company that is very successful changes the culture and goes to a similar company, but with a different culture and fails miserably. We have many examples of that. I wonder if certain qualities are absolute. We talk about things like trust and empathy. Maybe they take different forms in different cultures or different organizations, but they are there and they are kind of the necessary ingredient. They may not be the sufficient ingredient, but they are the necessary one. And I wonder above all that, whether this notion of ethical behavior, ethics, ethical rules, is really actually above even those notions of empathy and perspective-taking and trust 
and interpersonal relationships. What do you think? I mean, we see so many examples. Usually when we have a failure of leadership in the news, whether it's political or organizational or corporate, there's some kind of an ethical breach at some point. I wonder whether or not these are the things that one needs to emphasize above and beyond the transactional aspect of leadership or even the team building, the interpersonal aspect of the leadership. Yes, Scott. Uh, when I think about ethical, I think about something that we learned in the, the Army and maybe broader than the Army. We were given some autonomy to make decisions with the authority to do so as long as it was legal, moral, or ethical. That was just sort of a common phrase we would use. When I think about ethical today, it's relatively the same as I thought about it then, but it relates to integrity. And integrity to me relates to trust. It's a component of trust. And so I think if I was going to prioritize one over the others that you mentioned, ethical would I think would be at the top just because I think if we violate ethics, we're violating trust and everything is downhill after that. So I just see it relating to trust. I think you can also say that a critical aspect of ethics is, one, there's very few secrets in any organization. So your behavior and your decision-making process, if it compromises any of the values of the organization, people are going to know about it. And so in the end, you could almost say that ethics are the values of the organization. So if you compromise those, then basically what you've done is you said there's open season on those values for anybody. And your level of compromise is how somebody else perceives that, that you could be you know, giving them the green light to do things that can really be harmful for the organization. So from that perspective, whether it's taking a slightly unfair advantage of a client in a business scenario or doing something that potentially is illegal or unethical or would bring ill repute on the organization, anything inside of that range, other people are going to see it and they're going to think that that's acceptable. And the margin for what's acceptable for the organization now has shifted. It's almost impossible to recover that. This is profound and this is true. And we are witnessing things like that on a daily basis. Those of us who study leadership because we we like it and we observe our society. So I'm going to ask us to imagine for a second now the future. And, you know, in this particular podcast in MindWorks, we ask a lot to that question about the degree to which AI is changing our world, making our world more complicated or simpler, alleviating our workload. But now I want to orient it towards leadership and leadership development. Are there techniques there that are really going to change or revolutionize even the way we develop our leaders? And then we look at the practice of leadership to which maybe Some of this AI is freeing up the leaders to do things that leaders do. Daniel, I think it may be also useful to also add uh, automation into this. So what I think that uh, this does create an opportunity for work to become much more interesting to many, many people as AI, machine learning, and automation begin to take over the mundane aspects of work. And I think that if we move into the future, leadership will actually become more important because the franchise of the human mind will become of greater and greater value rather than just the ability of human beings to toil. So I think from that perspective, leadership will become increasingly important if you want to add true value to the organization. And so we will begin to focus on is the development of the individual so that they can better create 
or better add to the success of the organization. And I really hold very strongly to the idea that technology of any type is there to enhance a human performance, not to replace humans. And I'll be honest with you, I think that that's one of the advantages that the United States has going forward in the future in comparison to other nations is the value of the individual, of the human being in the process, and recognizing that the human being is contributing more than just a logical function. Yeah, I mean, Daniel, it's a very hard question. But if I think about much of what we've talked about here today, we've danced around leader development, not only what makes a good leader, but what will make a good leader in the future. And so to me, one of the fundamental issues of this future that we might envision is going to be asking ourselves the question, what are the AIs learning from us? And thinking about being a leader, not only of the people in that organization, but the AI in that organization is pretty interesting. And we're going to have to ask ourselves what it is we want to be learned, because we may or may not like what it is that gets learned by these entities. And so in many ways, I personally don't see it as being that different. I think it's going to be different in things that people do, things that machines do. But at the end of the day, I believe that as we worry less and less about simple machines, less and less even about automation and more and more about AI, the very lessons that we've heard articulated by people like Morgan and Scott today will be the ones that will matter most when, in fact, we try to lead AI. Thank you, Fred. We've had some of those conversations in the past from what's AI learning from us. It is a difficult question. I I guess my mind has been going to, it's not so much a fear or concern. In my little bit of experience through machine learning and algorithms and things, I can tell you truthfully that some of the thoughtfulness in some of the things I've done, I've sort of outsourced it to machine learning. I'm not suggesting that that will completely happen with leadership, but I can see where maybe some of it would be outsourced to AI, and that could be problematic. I brought up earlier in the conversation about you know what's under the hood is most important, and so that's where I see where leadership lies. It'll be interesting to see whether AI, if it does begin to assume some form of leadership position, is able to assume the, I'm going to say, the personality traits that we've been talking about today. Because in the end, we don't know. In the end, as a team satisfied with being valued by artificial intelligence, the same as it is by a human leader, can you establish the same level of trust? So I think that if AI does play a role, then the role of AI to be successful in a human relationship has to be one of trust, accountability, judgment, and so forth. And so I think that to a degree, that's a measure of reassurance that it should be going the right direction. Because if AI wants to have a relationship with humans, it has to be a good leader. And if it's a good leader, then it's accountable and values the people that it's working with. That is pretty profound. And I think that it's linked to the question that Fred asked earlier, which is what is the AI learning from us? Because AI needs data in order to behave. And maybe... We have to set a good example. Exactly. There will be some emergent properties in that AI that's going to surprise us and maybe hold a pretty tough mirror to us as leaders to say, this is really what the AI concluded about or learned about your leadership. That can be interesting, but certainly a new territory for all of us to insert those new forms of intelligence into our lives, especially with us as leaders. 
if it goes the other way, Daniel, we've got the uh, huge adventure in front of us as we go into the matrix and have a choice between the red pill and the blue pill. 